And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. That song has a lot to say. Um, If you notice the title of the sermon, We Win. And so that very first song was so appropriate. Victory in Jesus. Uh, We don't always feel like we're victorious, do we? Uh, Christianity doesn't always seem to be victorious. We finished that song and Miss Charlotte leaned over. She goes, I want that song at my funeral. I said, okay. We'll get her done. Well, as believers, have you ever struggled with discouragement in your life? Particularly in your faith. Some godly pastors have gone through low times when they actually wondered if they spent their lives in vain. Charles Spurgeon, he went through dark, dark valleys of discouragement and depression. Let's face it, sometimes it seems as if the other side is winning. The world certainly isn't getting better and better, is it? There's not a single Christian nation on the earth uh, or anything even close to it. Uh, Evil people uh, abound and many times they seem to prosper. Godly people are a minority and even some of them fall into serious sin. If we look at what we ourselves have accomplished for the Lord, it seems so just insignificant in the face of the huge task of establishing God's kingdom here on this earth. Now, the two parables that are in our text this morning, they're here to encourage all who serve the Lord with the simple truth that, guess what? His side is going to win. The mustard seed will grow into a tree with birds nesting in its branches. The leaven will spread throughout the entire lump. Now, Luke links these parables to the preceding context with the word, therefore. You know, in precept we learn anytime you see a therefore, you need to see what the therefore is there for. Meaning, you've got to look backwards, right? Jesus has been facing opposition and rejection from the, from the Jewish religious leaders. They weren't exactly lining up on his side, were they? In fact, they're growing increasingly hostile. Rather than trying to win them over, Jesus has been calling them hypocrites and embarrassing them in front of other people. Now think about the disciples. They may have looked at themselves as men who lacked sophistication and certainly the education of the religious leaders. And they may have looked at the way that things were going, this opposition that's growing towards Jesus, and they may have grown discouraged. In other words, what have we got ourselves into? They had no idea, did did they? Well... These two parables show them and us that in spite of small beginnings and seemingly insignificant beginnings, the gospel will prevail. Even though there's conflict, even though the task does at times seem overwhelming, God's purpose through Christ will triumph. So the bottom line is you want to be on the Lord's side because ultimately He is going to triumph over all. There is victory in Jesus. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, 
We just come this morning to ask your blessings on the preaching of your word. Lord, it is the gospel that contains the power of God unto salvation and and no other thing. So we pray that by your spirit you would bring that gospel to our hearts. uh, To bring it to life, to bring us to life if necessary, Father. That we may see Jesus for who he really is. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Well, the parable of the mustard seed illustrates that ultimately Jesus will triumph over all. This is verses 18 and 19. The parable is rather simple, right? The kingdom of God is like a man who sows a mustard seed uh, in his garden and it grows until it's so large that the birds can make a nest in it. Now, Jesus was probably referring to a shrub that grows 8 to 12 feet tall. The point is this, this little bitty seed, mustard seed is really small, y'all. Really small, all right? And so the point is that this tiny, tiny seed could produce this unusually large shrub. So large that the birds could nest, you know, build, build nests there. There's two basic lessons here for us. First, Jesus will triumph through the sowing of the seed into the seed of the gospel. So the man took the seed and threw it out into his own garden. Uh, now, as in, as in the parable of the sower, the seed, that represents the word of God, especially the central message of the word, the gospel. Now, the parable assumes that the man, he had a garden and that he wanted to grow a crop. Now, sadly, many Christians go through life without any concept that the Lord has given them a corner of his field to sow and to produce a crop for him. He is the landowner to whom we will all give an account one day. Now, your garden consists of the people that you have contact with to influence them for the sake of the kingdom of God, whoever it might be. Now, you should desire to see God use you to produce a harvest for him in your garden. Now, the way to produce that crop is to sow the seed of the gospel. That's point one. Sow that seed. The man threw the seed into his garden, and until he did that, the seed didn't sprout and start growing. You can go to the nursery and buy a package of tomato seeds. The package tells you that these seeds will produce tomatoes in so many weeks, blah, blah, blah. So you wait. But the time goes by and you don't see any tomatoes. So you go back to the nursery and and you ask uh, and you tell them, hey, these seeds didn't produce any crop. And the nursery clerk asks, well, when did you plant the seeds? Plant the seeds? You mean I got to plant them? Well, duh. You see, there's no such thing as a seed that is going to produce anything until it is planted. Likewise, the gospel is not going to have any effect until it comes in contact with sinners. If we want to reap a crop, we have to sow the seed of the gospel in the hearts of sinners. Spurgeon points out that this man uh, sowed the plain seed. He didn't wrap it in gold leaf or dress it up in any other manner. He just put the bare seed into the bare soil. And the point is, we don't have to embellish the simple gospel message Our brilliant ideas, (laughs) our persuasive techniques, they are not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so we've got to be clear about the gospel and present it clearly to others. Now, in order to welcome the good news of the gospel, what do people first have to understand? The bad news. Good news isn't good news unless you know there's bad news, right? So the bad news is that we have all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, some of us may be better than others, but none of us can ever qualify for heaven uh, by our own goodness. 
To try to enter God's presence through our own righteousness would be like trying to fly into the sun. You would be immediately consumed. Well, hundreds of times and in hundreds of ways we have violated God's holy laws so that we stand before Him guilty. Now God just can't forgive everyone or He'd no longer be just. God is just. He is righteous. Sin must be punished. And the penalty for the sinner is eternal judgment in hell, enduring the wrath of God against his sin. Now against that backdrop of bad news, the good news is that God has not left us uh, just to face his judgment as the only option. He sent a Savior in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. Being fully God and fully man, Jesus was the only one who could live the sinless life that God requires and also offer himself as the one whose death could satisfy God's just demand for righteousness towards sinners. And the best part of the good news is God doesn't offer us the Savior in exchange for our vows or efforts to earn his salvation. No, he offers eternal life to us as a free, undeserved gift received by faith alone. Period. He promises that the one who believes in Jesus as his sin bearer shall not perish but have everlasting life. It is so simple. That message that we are sinners, that Christ died for sinners, and that we can receive him as Savior and Lord through faith, it is so simple that children and the uneducated can understand it and they can respond to it. Now we should be sowing that simple seed with our children, with family members, with friends and acquaintances at work or school, with strangers, whenever we get the chance. Jesus will triumph through the sowing of the seed of the gospel. Now, we need to make sure that we are actually sowing the gospel seed itself. There are many who camouflage it in a way so that it might appear not so offensive. They dress up the gospel in the, up, in the upbeat clothes of personal success. Jesus can help you be all you've ever wanted to be. Jesus can fulfill your dreams. Don't worry about repentance. Just try Jesus and you'll be happy. Folks, that is not the gospel. And it will not and does not save. Some believers are confusing the gospel with moralism. We need to call America back to our Christian roots. Let's post the Ten Commandments. Let's get prayer back in the schools. Let's elect decent people to office and and pass laws that uphold our Judeo-Christian values. Those are worthy goals. There's nothing wrong with that. And some some Christians should serve as godly politicians and public officials. But Christian morals will not save our nation. The gospel is what will save our nation. It, it will result in true moral transformation. Moral transformation, you've you got to picture this. This is, a, this is a word picture here. Moral transformation without the gospel is about like putting a tuxedo on a pig. For a few minutes, it's going to make that pig look really good. But it's not going to have any lasting change whatsoever. Jesus will triumph through the sowing of the seed of the gospel. That needs to be our focus. 
Well, the second point, first is we've got to sow the seed, right? We have to put it in the ground. We have to bring the gospel in contact with non-believers. But second, the sown seed of the gospel will powerfully accomplish its intended results. Now, the man sowed the seed and, and it grew and became a tree. At first, that little seed seems so small and perilous, uh, powerless. It's just a speck in the man's hand. What could it possibly accomplish? But it wasn't long until it produced a plant large enough for the birds to nest in. Now, inherent in that tiny little seed was, was the life and the power to produce a sturdy tree. So it is with the gospel. Now, in Jesus' day, the notion was that uh, the kingdom would come in with, with just great fanfare. It would have a dramatic beginning so that all would marvel, all would see, all would take notice. But Jesus is teaching us here that the kingdom would begin almost invisibly, without much notice, just like this man putting this small seed into the soil. But having been planted, it would powerfully grow until it accomplishes God's purpose in sowing it in the first place. Now, have you ever considered the amazing power in a seed? Just throw a seed of a tree near your foundation... And 20 years from now, your foundation may begin to crack. We've all walked along sidewalks that have buckled because somebody sowed a tree too close and the roots came along. Boom! Right? The power in the seed is the power of life. You know the sequoia tree? 300 feet tall, nearly 30 feet in diameter. Absolutely amazing. They're contained in a small seed that you can hold in the palm of your hand. You put that seed into the ground and the life that it will produce is, just, is that mighty tree. The seed of the gospel is powerful. You know why? It's because God uses it to impart His very life to sinners. Transforming them from the inside out. It's not like putting a, a tuxedo on the pig. No, that's just outward transformation that doesn't last. No, the gospel works from the inside out. As I mentioned last week, um, the gospel, as opposed to dead religion, is the life of God in the souls of men. Now, as such, it is powerful to transform not only individuals, but whole cultures. In 1981, Chester Bitterman, what a name, Chester Bitterman, he was serving with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and he was murdered by Colombian terrorists there in Colombia. And in interviewing Bitterman's family, a TV reporter was probing for any covert connection between this young man, who was supposedly a Bible translator, and the CIA. Right? The reporter suddenly blurted out, but why should they kill someone just for translating the Bible? I mean, isn't that just a pretty harmless thing to do? Well, harmless, maybe. But powerless, no. Wherever it has gone, the Bible has transformed whole cultures through the simple message of the gospel. Now I want you to notice there's no glory for the man who sowed the seed. We don't know his name. He didn't do anything spectacular or heroic. The power wasn't in him or in the slick way that he put the seed into the ground. He just threw out the seed and let it do its thing. Now sure, he may have watered it and protected it from the elements and fertilized it, but he had nothing to do with making that seed grow. The seed grew because of the life in it 
And the man could only marvel at how that big tree came out of that little bitty seed through that mysterious process of life. It's the same with the gospel. We may benefit from learning how to present the gospel in a clear manner. As a matter of fact, I, I think I can assert that yes, it would be good for us to learn how to you know, proclaim the gospel clearly. However, we have nothing to do with the power of the gospel. The power comes from God imparting his life to dead sinners. And when God acts through the gospel, all we can do is marvel at his great power to transform lives. Now those who sow the seed, they can't take any glory for themselves. God gets all of the glory. And no one can come up with a message or a philosophy that rivals the gospel. And that's simply because the best of human wisdom falls so far short of the life power, the life-giving power of God in the gospel. No nation has ever been transformed from barbarism to culture through the writings of Plato or Socrates. But the seed of the gospel, it is power, powerful enough to convert the chief of sinners, ring any bells, to the most godly of saints, talking about the Apostle Paul. Paul himself says there in 1 Corinthians one twenty one, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. The foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That's what, that's what the gospel is to the world. It's foolishness. But God has chosen that foolish message in the eyes of the world to save the world. It's incredible. Think of the powerful results that come from a single seed that's planted. Thousands of new seeds are produced. Each one of them has the potential to produce thousands more seeds. Well, we see that the birds found shelter in the tree that resulted from this single seed. And that's probably referring to the Gentiles who, you know, they find shelter in the gospel that was first uh, given to the Jewish nation. In fact, all who nest there in the shelter of that tree, they find peace with God. It's freely provided. Now, the Bible shows that the preaching of the gospel in all of the world will result in myriads from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And they'll be gathered around God's throne singing praises to Him because of His saving grace. So God's means of accomplishing His glorious purpose is through His people sowing the seed of the gospel. So the parable, this parable here, the mustard seed, it shows us ultimately that Jesus, yes, He will triumph over all. So let's just briefly consider the, the, the parable of the leaven. The parable of the leaven, it also illustrates that ultimately Jesus will triumph over all. Now, the lessons somewhat overlap, so they don't require a lot of comment. But the repetition of these two may submit them in our minds. First, the size of the task, which is big, right? Establishing the kingdom of God on earth. In proportion to the smallness of the force is not a hindrance to Jesus' ultimate triumph. The woman's three measures of flour is equal to about 50 pounds of flour. I looked at the size of a 10-pound bag of flour. 50 pounds is a lot of flour. Here's the point. 
just a small amount of leaven is all that's needed to permeate that large mass of dough. Leaven or yeast, it's just a single-celled fungus that promotes fermentation. When it's put into the bread dough, it produces carbon dioxide bubbles that cause the dough to rise. Now, since leaven is often used in the Bible as a, a symbol for sin, some commentators understand this parable to be referring to false teaching that is going to spread within the church. And nobody is denying that that hasn't happened. But this would overturn the obvious contextual flow of thought here in our passage. Now, leaven is not always a symbol for evil. The meaning here is parallel to the meaning of the small mustard seed. The smallness of the pinch of leaven is not a problem even though the lump is very large. Now the smallness of Jesus and his ragtag band of followers, that's no problem in regard to the worldwide spread of the gospel. It's amazing, right? It started with one man who poured into 12, particularly into 3. And uh, I, I don't know the numbers, but... Uh, to see what it has come to today, 2,000 years later, uh, is quite incredible. Now, the power doesn't depend on Jesus' followers, but on the power of God through the gospel. Well, second, the leaven has to come in contact with the dough for the power to be unleashed. We've already talked about that with the seed and the soil. Uh, here, there may be a nuance that, that once the contact is made, the power works from the inside out. And that's how the gospel works as God transforms the hearts of sinners. Third, once contact is made, the power is unstoppable. You can't reverse the process. Once you introduce leaven into that dough, it does its thing. Now let me ask you this. Can you unleaven leavened bread? Just chew on that one a while and think in terms of the gospel. Can you unleaven leavened bread? No, you can't. That process is done and it won't go back. Once the gospel penetrates the hearts of those God has chosen to save, it is effectual to bring them to salvation and then to progressive sanctification. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. In verse 30 he says, In whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see, our job is to bring the leaven in the gospel, leaven of the gospel, into contact with the mass of humanity out there that doesn't know Jesus. God's job is to save those he has purpose to save. And save them, he will. Because salvation doesn't depend on the will of man, but on the sovereign will and power of God. Now, these parables don't necessarily teach uh, post-millennialism. Uh, that's the view that the gospel will spread until the whole world is converted, at which point Jesus will return. They do teach that the gospel will, will spread to all peoples, and that God's sovereign purpose through Christ will be accomplished. He will build his church, remember what he told Peter? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now if you're not already on Jesus' side, these two parables should alarm you, because you are now opposed to that which inevitably will prevail. Jesus is going to win. You need to cross the line by trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're already on Jesus' side, these parables should encourage you to sow the seed of the gospel. Because God will powerfully use it for the conversion of sinners and for the fulfillment of His purpose in being glorified in all of the earth. 
You want to be on Jesus' side because ultimately He will triumph over all. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you give us heads up like that because life can be discouraging. Uh, Father, this world beats on us in a variety of ways and sometimes we do question, we even may question you. And uh, we don't understand it fully. Uh, but God, help us to see just through these, these four, four or five verses this morning that yes, in fact, Jesus will triumph over all. Uh, that His kingdom will extend to the ends of the earth and accomplish its purposes. Father, we are part of that process. Help us to understand that, that it is a process and we are part of it. We may be a small part, but that's okay. Lord, if we all do our small part, we can make a tremendous difference. So God, help us in that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just like I said a second ago, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you know you need to understand you're on the losing side. <laughs> and, um, you know, some people look at salvation let's call it fire insurance well how do I not go to hell well you get saved but that's not what salvation is folks salvation is not just a free ticket out of hell if that's what you think your salvation is you're probably not saved okay salvation is something that is wrought from inside of us that changes us from the inside out and its life is powerful just like the life in that seed just like the, the, the leaven and, and, and the, the uh, leavening process that it does to the dough, it works from the inside out and changes us. So that yes, we don't go to hell, thank you Lord, but beyond that, we're His children here and now, and we are part of that process. Okay? Our job is to make sure that the gospel message makes contact with sinners. It's, it's that simple. But if you're out there today and you know that you're not, a, you're not a believer, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're still thinking, well, I've got time for that, or I'm just not sure that that's all true. You know, I think I'm doing fine in my life. Okay. Uh, I just want to encourage you, uh, don't, don't put it off. If the Holy Spirit is saying anything to you today, run towards it. Don't run away from it. Run towards it. It will change your life. And the thing is, here's the cross. You know, coming up to it, none of this makes sense. None of it. The Bible tells us that, right? 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man does not um, accept the things of the Spirit of God, for, and they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this is us walking before Christ. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it's foolishness, right? But then you encounter Christ. This is what we're talking about last week. Not a dead religion, you encounter the living Lord Jesus Christ. That happens in your life, and all of a sudden, from then on, everything that you looked back on and went, well, that was foolishness. Now you go, oh, thank you, Lord. It makes sense. And your life changes for the good forever. I hope you can say that you've made that transition. Rather, that God has made that transition in you. It has opened your eyes to see the goodness of of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the offer that He has for you in salvation. Take it today. It's what the world needs. You may need it this morning. If you're a believer, it's simple. Yeah, we're to be sowing seed. It's an, it's an actual fact that people have to encounter the gospel somewhere between 10 and 15 times before they ever come to salvation. That's not always that way. I mean, many, how many of you were saved just in a revival? 
You know, you went to a revival many years ago. A friend invited you. That's what happened to Billy Graham. Him and his buddy, Grady. They go, they were 16 years old. There was nowhere to sit. They walk in the back and they're like, oh, it's packed. And they turn around. Some man, we don't know who he is. This is the sower of the seed. Some man walked over and said, boys, boys. Hey, there's some seats up here. Took them up there. Sat down. Billy Graham saved that night. What if they had just walked out? No, that's our job. He, this man, who, we don't know who he is. He's the sower of the seed. He's not getting any glory. Except we're going, thank you, whoever you are. Because that night he said, no boys, come on. We, we got seats. Come and sit down. He sat down. He got convicted. He gave his heart to Christ that night. That's what we're to be doing. Sowing seeds of the gospel. And it will produce what God desires. Let's just be faithful. The results are up to him. Up to, that's one of the most freeing things you'll ever learn. Is that in sowing the seeds of the gospel, the results are not up to you. The results are up to God. We're to be faithful in sowing that seed. I hope you're being faithful. Well, if you'd like to join our church, I just invite you to come forward. We're going to sing a song of invitation and give you a chance to respond. Maybe you, we're going to go into Lord's Supper next. And I want to encourage you, if you need to talk to the Lord about anything, you can use these steps. They make great uh, an altar just to bow the knee before the Lord. But whatever's on your heart, you come share it with me. You guys stand and Miss Sarah, you lead. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. I will arise and go. Sarah says, uh, I think I may have picked a song. I heard you say that this morning. That uh, we, we we're not from what not real familiar with. Uh, how many how many know that song? And go, well, there you go. Okay, that's about, I don't know, a fifth of us. That's good, 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 good. All right. Hey, listen, we've got Tony and Michelle Brandon. They've been coming for two or three months. And uh, coming, now Michelle was a member of Kingland, Kingland's, Kingsland Baptist in Georgia and uh, Tony's going to be coming on 
uh, profession of faith. Not well. No, excuse me. Let not. No. What's it called? Yeah. No. Not transfer. He doesn't have a letter. Oh yeah. Here. My statement. Thank you. Gosh. Y'all. Anyway, uh, they've, been, they've been coming for a couple of months and uh, just got to talk to them just a couple of minutes there and uh, uh, they want to join our church and I'm like, well, praise God, praise God. So uh, I want you, you know, in acknowledgement and recognition, if, uh, if you uh, want to accept them into our fellowship, just raise your hand. Amen. 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 God bless, God bless. Now. We're going we're gonna to do the social distancing thing, so if you'd have come six months from now, everybody would come by and shake your hand, maybe. We're, we're going to kind of avoid that, but I want you to get know, to know Tony and Michelle, uh, Brandon. Have you guys gotten plugged into a Sunday school class yet? Okay, y'all jump over. Um, no, I'm just teasing. Yeah, there's his closest. It's right behind that wall, so... Uh, anyway, uh, thank you guys. We'll get this uh, filled out. Um, God bless you. And be sure and, and just welcome them from afar like we can, you know, now. And let them know that you appreciate them being with us. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.